Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Morning, everyone. I'm just going to grab a lectern because I've got a very big Bible. And I'm also conscious of time, and you'll notice that I'm not built for speed. I'm built for lifting heavy things and a life of comfort, but I'm going to try and do this. So let me briefly introduce myself to you. For those of you that don't know me, I'm actually nearly 45. That is a clean conscience, that is, the way I look like this, and forgiving myself quickly. And I'm married to Karen uh, for the last 22 years, give or take a little bit, and uh it's nearly 23, actually, isn't it? And I've got two daughters. One is nearly 18, and she's called Emily, although after this morning I'm going to rename her 1357. And I've got one called Annie. Uh, Emily lives in Narnia, and she's into art, and Annie has the brain the size of a planet. I've also got a dog called Flick that's nearly dead. She's about 10. Uh, I've got a cat called... Coco, that's a bloke that acts like a girl. And I've got a 10 koi carp. We did have 20, but we've also got a heron. And I've got a hamster, which was actually killed by the cat. So the hamster is now buried in the garden. It was actually a very tragic thing that happened last week. Someone laughed, and that's quite painful. Uh, but it was quite horrific. Actually, it uh, died in a blanket very tragically, and it was a horrific thing, which we're just about getting over now. And I met Jesus at 18. I'm a first-generation Christian, as they call it. So I don't come from a Christian household very, very quickly. My dad was a police officer. He was in the regional crime squad and the flying squad back in the day. My mum used to make dresses, and then she brought us up. I come, as you can tell from my accent, from Essex. There you go. Anyone else here from Essex? Anyone want to admit it? Anyone take a holiday in Essex? Okay. So uh, that's our background, and I only went to church because I met Karen. It was like a cosmic ambush. Actually, I went because I met a mate who told me he was a Christian. I took the mick out of him, ended up getting invited to church. Years later, here I am, married to Karen, two kids, dead hamster, cat, dog, koi, carp, and follower of Jesus. And I'll never forget the starting gun to my journey, actually, of, of like radical, what I'd like to think of radical discipleship. And it actually all stems back to Karen. What I often say to people is that I'm, I'm the preacher. I'm an evangelist, actually. Um, ben asked me what my job is, and I said, I'm a bit embarrassed, like UK director, because it sounds all a bit up there. But actually, I'm an evangelist. And I spent years just telling men about Jesus, actually. I used to stand in pubs and clubs and working men's clubs and snooker halls telling men about Jesus. I was a specialist evangelist of blokes. In fact, for many years... I used to get introduced as, this is Cole Beach. He has a huge passion for men, which is quite interesting. Uh, so but anyway, uh, my starting gun to discipleship and following Jesus full on actually stems back from Karen. Back in the day uh, when I was in my early 20s, I used to be a salesman. Hard to believe that, isn't it? A lot of evangelists would be good salesmen, but I was a salesman in London and I was flogging uh, financial products to people who didn't need them, the unsuspecting great British public. And I was earning a bit of cash. We were doing all right. I had a little bit of money in my pocket and life was good. I had a yuppie pad in Essex near Basildon. 
in a place called Billericay. There we go, which was famous for a little sitcom. So uh, we had a little yuppie pad there, and uh, it was all good, and Karen was working in the civil service, and yeah, we had a life where you could kind of say, what should we do at the weekend? Let's go to Paris. Okay, let's go to Paris. Then we'd fly BA, and we'd go to Paris and just stay in a hotel and have fun, and all that was great. And then one day, I was feeling this little stirring about evangelism, and I wanted to tell people about Jesus, and it's a long story I can't go into because of time, but... But I came home once and I was navigating this, do I, do I go all in for Jesus or not? And I just had an interview for a massive brokerage in London where the bloke had said to me, um, we want to make you uh, an offer for a very big job. And long story short, we will make you a millionaire by the age of 30. It's a nice offer when you're 22, isn't it? Put you in a BMW, 100 grand a year plus bonuses, make you a millionaire by the age of 30, but I want your soul. That's what he said. I want you to bleed for this organisation. I want your soul. Bit weird. What I didn't know was, two weeks later, I was being interviewed to be a Baptist minister. And I went for an interview in a, in a hall that smelt mildly of urine in Ipswich. And, and there were 12 men in grey suits, angry men. And the first question was, like, me and Cameron were just standing there. I had to like, read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That actually spoke like that. And I, like to prove that you could preach. And then the next question was, which it all went uh, horribly wrong, give us three theologists in the book of Romans. <laughs> I was like, is that in the Bible? So that was, that was a bit hard. But anyway, we passed the interview. So I'm like making this decision. We decided to go for it and we were going to be church planters and stuff. But I've got this offer. I go home and I find Karen crying on the bed. And, uh, and I said, what are you crying about? She said, I've just read this passage in the Bible. So what is it? She said, it's that bit in Matthew chapter 8. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And I went, that's really good, isn't it? Good verse, that. She went, oh, I think it's for us. And I went, no, it's not. <laughs> she went, no, it is. I said, what do you mean? She said, I think, I think God's telling us to give up our home. What, me yuppie pad in Basildon? That one, yeah, the one we're in right now. No, that's not what Jesus meant. Because you often you finally do that. What Jesus meant to say was this. Like, it's got to be in your heart. Like in your heart, you've got to be able to give it up. And Cameron, it's not got to be in your heart, it's got to be absolutely real. So we actually did it, and uh, that was my starting gun for uh, radical discipleship. We sold the yuppie plaid, we, we moved on to a council estate, and we planted a church amongst the urban poor. And God took us on a journey where he stripped us of everything, actually. Back in the day, in my 20s, into my 30s, ego was stripped away, pride was stripped away. Certainly the bank account was completely emptied, and it's never quite been full up ever since. Because he took us on this journey of dependence and radical faith and radical discipleship, which you still have to go on. Years later, I'm still having to bring myself back to this place. And I'm preaching this to myself as well as we navigate the passage I'm going to read to you in a bit. But you know, don't you, that or if you don't know this, I'm telling you now, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you decided to go all in. 100%. Not mucking about. It's not an insurance Plan in your back pocket. But like when the wheels come off, you think, I'll just pull God out of my back pocket and sling up a prayer and hope he'll bail me out because my hot tub's broken. It's like when you decided to go all in for Jesus, that's, that's everything. Like that's, that's 100%. Like you're following a man who laid his life down, nailed to a lump of wood, took on the forces of darkness. He calls us to this radical life of obedience. 
Now, Romans 12, 1, that brilliant verse where it calls us living sacrifices. You realise that when you give your life to Jesus, your life is not your own anymore. Actually, it belongs to the living God. And all our decisions are put through a filter now of following him. It's not about being loved up and helping us feel better. And actually, you begin to realise that what God sees as a blessing is different to what we see as a blessing in worldly terms. And as part of my process of deconstruction, um, Karen's sister uh, happened to marry into a family where the uncle was one of the richest people in the UK. Bit annoying, actually. <laughs> Never really got a meeting. And we were around for dinner once, and uh, we had taken a decision to leave our jobs and plant a church, and Karen was, well, I didn't know this a bit, I'll tell you, fill in a gap in a minute, so we had left our jobs, and uh, we were having dinner, and Karen's sister's like, we've just been bought a new car, got a new hi-fi, going up to St. Andrews, flying in a hot air balloon, and I'm like, I'm really happy for you. I'm really, I'm really glad you got a new car. It's really excellent. Everything's really good. Inside, I'm all like chewed up. I'm like, ugh. So annoyed. Because I've got nothing. I'm worried about buying a tin of, tin of baked beans. And I got in a car. And I said to Karen, I felt really frustrated. Really frustrated in that dinner. She said, oh, so did I. I said, but I had this weird thing happen. She said, I felt, I said, I felt God say to me, I'm going to bless you in other ways. Now, at the time, I thought that might mean I get a Porsche. <laughs> but Karen said, I felt the same. And it was a few days later, Karen came into the bedroom in the morning and went, I'm pregnant. And then fast forward a few years, and we got two daughters. And go back a couple of weeks, and I'd now, by now, baptised my eldest daughter, Emily, the one who lives in Narnia, managed to get her into the real world for a bit. We baptised her and she fell in love with Jesus. And then I was sitting with my youngest daughter on the sofa with my, her eldest, her sister, with my eldest. And I just said a little throwaway line to Annie, as you walk with Jesus at the moment, it's only a little while ago, and she suddenly went, and she's quite like, she's academic, she thinks about everything, and but she's just really annoyingly clever, like really smart and remembers things including everything you ever said to her, ever. Uh, and, and, and she sat there and she went, <coughs> I went, oh. She went, I can't get God out of my head. And I just think about it all the time. And I'm reading my Bible and I just can't stop and show tears. And I looked around and like my eldest daughter's crying because her younger sister's crying about Jesus. And then we said a little prayer together and I felt God say to me, son, your whole family is going to be in heaven with you. So I'm now like man crying. I've got, I've got a little bit of a lump going on. I'm a little bit moist in my left eye, in the far left corner. I'm feeling a little bit like I'm, I'm all emotional. Like seriously. The last time I felt like that was when I watched Black Hawk Down. So I'm like, this is every stuff. And then Karen came in the room. She said, what's everyone crying for? Now we're all crying. I'm man crying, they're girl crying, and the whole thing's carnage. And then... I went, in, I went out with a dog and had a little proper little man cry and uh, when no one was looking. And I'm like, that's the kingdom, that. That's, that's being blessed in other ways. 
that's seeing that's seeing a kingdom break out actually puts it all in perspective but you'll be amazed how hard it is for us to get this let me read this i'm going to read this quite quickly this passage from mark 10 which is on your program because the disciples didn't get this even though they've been walking with jesus let me read this from mark 10 verse 32 they were on the road going up to jerusalem and jesus was walking on ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were fearful and again he took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him saying behold we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, scourge him, kill him. And three days later he will rise again. And James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Are they thick? I mean, that's us. I'm going to get killed, flogged, scourged. Can, yeah, but can you do a little cheeky sunning for me? It's amazing, isn't it? Blind spot begins to emerge here. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Showing amazing patience. And they said to him, grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with a baptism which, with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Really? And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink and you shall be baptized with a baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who recognize as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life of a rans as a ransom for many. Verse 33, I'll be condemned to death. Verse 34, I'll be mocked, spat and scourged. Verse 35, but make us great. Didn't get it, did they? A little bit of a blind spot there. Well, here's how it panned out for the first 12. Andrew was martyred by crucifixion. Bartholomew was beheaded, flayed alive, and eventually crucified, head down with his head off. James the Greater was martyred by being stabbed with a sword. The other James was thrown from the temple at Jerusalem and stoned and beaten with clubs. John managed to die of old age. Jude was martyred by being beaten to death with a club. Judas killed himself. Matthew was martyred by being burned, stoned or beheaded. Peter was martyred by crucifixion, head down. Philip was martyred, we don't know how. Simon was martyred by crucifixion or perhaps being sawn in half. And Thomas was martyred by being stabbed with a spear. Great career path. That's radical discipleship. Make me great. Really? Do you really know what you're asking for? Can you drink from the cup with which I drink? 
sat on the edge of my bed when I was 18, the day after meeting Jesus. And my first Bible, which I still got sitting on my desk at work, Karen wrote a little love note in it. Because the day I gave my life to Jesus, he came over and gave me a kiss. She wouldn't go near me before that. Should have done it months ago, shouldn't I? What's all that about? So I still got that little Bible because he said, I love you, Carl, and I always will. So when I've been out of order, I go, look, he said that. He said, you'd always love me. <laughs> I've still got it. It's on my desk for an opportune moment. And I sat on the edge of my bed and I said to God, I follow you every tell me to go. I'll do whatever you ask me to do, no matter what. I said that prayer. It's a Holy Spirit-inspired prayer. Don't know where it came from. I went down to my dad and I said, Dad, I'm not, not joining the British Army anymore because I've just gone through selections. The first part of the selections to join the Royal Tank Regiment as an officer. I applied to join the cavalry, but they told me my accent wasn't right. Serious, that? They said, boys from your side of the Thames don't join the cavalry and they join the tank regiment. <laughs> That's what they said. Hmm. So anyway, I was going to join the be tank fodder for the Russians during the Cold War. That was the idea. And uh, I went down to my old man and I said, Dad, I'm not joining the British Army anymore because I'm following Jesus Christ now and I'm fighting battles with him. My dad was cooking a bit of bacon in a frying pan. Flying squad detective. He just went, you still fancy girls, didn't you, son? That's the main thing. <laughs> I went back up to my room. A little bit distraught. Things weren't working out well. I follow you every tell me to go and I'll do whatever you ask me to do no matter what. I follow you, Jesus. And I met Karen and we had the foxes have holes thing. Lost me yuppie pad. But actually on a serious note, everything in me rises up the ego the, the sinful nature to want position and prestige and, and I read that and I think and I look what happens to the disciples think and I have to make conscious choices in my life actually for me to lay these things down before the Lord and I've found before God actually that before you achieve anything of significance for the kingdom of God, you have to take a step back in human terms. And I've had to make choices in that. So some of you will know me from, some of you will, not many, but some from the Christian Vision for Men days, and you start to get articles in magazines because things are going well, and we started to spread around the world, and we're in 15 nations, and you get off a plane somewhere, and some of you think you're the big man because you had a men's ministry, and you got recognised in places and it's all bit, it's good that it starts to go to your head. And then I met up with Andy Hawthorne, offered me an opportunity to come and, come and work at the Message Trust. And do you know one of the weird things that rose up in me? I'm a CEO. I run a thing. I'm not, I'm a big shot. I don't want to have a boss again. It's stuck in my throat. That's my boss. <laughs> Weird though, isn't it? So I did it. And I'm having a laugh and a blast and people are coming to faith. And it's brilliant. But you have to make choices in this life. You're pursuing the flesh or you're going to pursue the path of the spirit. Because actually what we're called to is not power, or position, or being recognised, actually what we're called to is kingdom significance. 
and to be disruptors in this world, pointing people to Jesus. That's actually what I want to be. Do you know what I want to be? I want to be a slightly stocky, annoying bloke from Romford who's a kingdom disruptor. Like, I walk into places and, like, the enemy don't see you coming. You're like, <laughs> like, really annoying for the forces of darkness. It don't matter what people think you are. You're just a kingdom disruptor, an adjutant, an irritant. Oh, I quite like that career path. That sounds quite good, doesn't it? Like walking into a place and you carry a presence of light. No one bothers about who you are or what you do. Or they might not even know your name in years to come. I like that. I've actually started to like it. I think one day when I'm old and irrelevant, I might walk past Message Towers and there will be these cool backflippers hanging around and people who can jump ridiculously high. I see the videos, Linz. I still think you're sorcery. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> and, and, and this old bloke will walk past and I'll go, oh, I was once part of that. And no one will, I'll pop into the mess cafe and no one will know who I was. But that's good, that. Because I walked my life before the Lord. I did my bit. Then I'll go into, in human terms, obscurity. But in kingdom terms, I built some treasure in heaven. Because I spent my life not putting myself on a platform, but giving other people a shot of going. One day I'll die and I'll go home. And there'll be a whole bunch of people in heaven because we had a go and we did our bit wherever we are. Whether you're working in Starbucks or you stand on a platform or you're an accountant or a bricklayer, be like a kingdom disruptor. Like my builder is going to smash my house apart in about two weeks. Mick, he's just led his plaster to faith. Daz. And he's pumped. Mick's led Daz to faith and Daz is on it. And he keeps crying before the Lord. I think, happy days. And Mick's like, so excited. When I say to Mick, what do you want out of your life? He went, I've always just wanted to be a builder. Now I'm a builder who tells people about Jesus as well. I love that. That's significance, that. So who knows what Daz will go on to do? Mick and Daz. Beautiful, isn't it? Kingdom disruptors. When I worked in a bank, I got a little window into this. I had a client who found out was a medium. Some of you at the message heard me talk about this, but uh, I, I thought, how do you evangelise a medium? Because actually I wanted to flog them a load of stuff as well, because they were minted. And uh, I thought, how do you do this? So I said to the medium, I said, yeah, do us a favour. Ask him who's in charge on the other side. And she went, all right then. So he never turned up for the next meeting. And I saw them. In the banking hall, weeks later, and I went, sort of went up, being annoying. Did you ask the question? You never turned up for your meeting, but did you ask the question? She went, I did. I said, what was the answer? She said, well, my spirit guides, I said, how many have you got? Three. Oh. They said, the Christ is in charge on the other side. Put a shiver down my spine. Put a shiver down my spine just saying it then. Not Jesus. The Christ. He's in charge on the other side. 
Said, why didn't you come to your meeting? She said, because then they said, if you go and see that bloke again, we'll stop speaking to you. Thought I like that. <laughs> I mean, I didn't get the business, but it's good. Kingdom disruption, bringing significance for the kingdom. And who knows what went on to happen for her. So let me do you in five minutes a few bullet points. Number one, look to serve, not position yourself. Don't worry about who's the greatest. God will take care of that. Jesus is the greatest. We're, we're, we're chess pieces. Like, don't worry about who's the boss and who's the CEO and how people view you. Worry about how God sees you. Pursue the path of significance, not position. Be sacrificial. Lay down your self-interests. Don't worry about what you're going to get out of things. It says in Philippians, isn't it? Don't do anything out of vain conceit or selfish ambition, but be the servant of all in Philippians 2 verse 4. Kingdom people view decisions through the filter of what's good for others, not themselves. And that's where true influence and significance for me comes in. Be countercultural. Make decisions that are countercultural. For instance, a few years ago, I actually had a sports car, which sounds a bit weird. I mean, told you that I laid everything down, but I did manage to get one for a little bit of work we were doing in men's ministry. Now I've gone into radical youth ministry. I've got a Skoda. In men's ministry, I had a sports car, and I crashed it at five miles an hour into the back of someone uh, in the dark near Christmas. It was a young girl, crashed into a 1989 Vauxhall Nova. Long story short, she was a bit upset. I said Merry Christmas. My car had gone under her bumper and had folded up like a pterodactyl. Her car had no problems with it because it was a 1989 Vauxhall Nova built like a tank and it was already beaten up. She said, the car's only worth 200 quid, don't worry about it. I said, happy days, we swap numbers anyway. Two weeks later, I get a phone call. Oh, no, sorry, it was a text message. Two weeks later, I've had my car professionally assessed. There's 700 pounds worth of damage on the car, but if you give me a check for 100 pounds a day, we'll think no more about it. I'm from Romford, love. You're trying to scam me, isn't it? That's a scam. It was a 200 pound Vauxhall Nova. She's trying to rip me off. So anyway, I got put myself in a corner, gave myself a little talking to, got her address, and I took a check round there. My checkbook, I'm not a reverend anymore, but a couple of years ago it said, Reverend Carl Beach. So I wrote a check for 150 quid. That hurt near Christmas. Knocked on the door, and I said, uh, I'm terribly sorry again for crashing into the back of your car. I said, but I just, uh, I, I put a little bit extra on there because I just want to bless you. He said, bless me. And I went, yeah, bless you. Show him the check, 150 quid. So he's reverend on there. I wanted to say to her at that point, and if you steal from a man of God, you could be struck down on the spot. <laughs> so I wanted to say I wanted to say that, but I didn't. And I drove away and I thought, I wonder. I told her what I did and everything. I thought, I wonder if she'll cash the check or be so convicted of her sin trying to steal from me that she won't cash it in. Blown by the calculations, she put it in that afternoon. <laughs> but I thought it's countercultural, it's worth it, because what if she moves to Manchester from Chesterfield and then she bumps into one of you guys and you invite her to this cool church, Ivy, where lots of great things are happening. You invite her to an Alpha course, or whatever course it is you run. And then she goes, actually, do you know what? I met this Christian once and I, I did try and nick some money off him and he was a pig. 
he would fought me back and he was horrible. Or she could get invited to an alpha course and she goes, do you know what? I did try and nick some money off that vicar bloke. And he actually gave me more. You put a stone in her shoe, didn't you? That's what I've done. I left her with a little kingdom limp. I've agitated her. She's like, what was that 150 quid about? She's limping now. And one day God will bring that to fruition. So I put a stone in her shoe for Jesus. It's countercultural living. That's significance. That's living for Jesus, giving the benefit of the doubt, believing the best, choosing a harder, harder path. That's what I believe. You let me say this to you. We heard a little declaration earlier. I believe that God made the heavens and the earth. We live out our lives before an audience of one. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every word on your tongue. He knows all the motives of your heart. He knows everything about you, good and bad. There's every word on your tongue before you speak it. How about that? And he died for all your sin, all the rubbish that you've committed and all the ones you'll go on to commit. Sin's known and unknown. And what he calls us to do is live out our lives before him with integrity, honesty, and to place him as number one. Him as Lord and master and commander and captain of our lives. And each of you here you are all shining lights of kingdom greatness. You're all influencers. You're all adjutants and disruptors for the King of Kings. Did you know that? And all he calls us to do is lay down our self-interest. Don't worry about who's the greatest. Ask what the greatest disruption you can cause for Jesus Christ. Ask where you can be a blessing. How can I use my money, my wealth, my time, my energies, my intellect? Wherever you place me, can I use everything that you've put in my hands, Jesus, to serve you? And, and me and Karen have got to navigate this going forward too. Constantly, what does it mean for us to truly be kingdom people and not navigate life through our own selfish ambition and desires? One day we will die. And we will all go home. And we will kneel before the Lord. And he'll look in our eye. And he'll want to know what we did with what he gave us. You passed the line, you follow Jesus. But you'll want to know what we did. And do you know what I want? My heart's desire is I look around and my mates are there. And my family are there who still don't know Jesus. And the bloke I'm meeting tonight for a beer still don't know Jesus. But I look around and they're there. Look at that. No, you were going to be here. They're like, yeah, because you didn't quit. Because you ran the race. You ran it hard. And now you're home and we're all here together. Don't you want that? I want that. That's what I want more than anything else. And for those of you that don't know who Jesus is, here's a, here's a thing for you. Some of you might be sitting here and you haven't, you haven't made a decision to fully enter into a relationship with him yet. And yet he calls you to be the person that deep down you know you ought to be. Not pursuing life from your own perspective, but to pursue life from his perspective and to follow him to become everything that you could be. What a beautiful thing that is when we do that. Life changes when we do that. It takes you on an adventure from a yuppie pad in Basildon to Chesterfield. <laughs> it takes you on an adventure. To ask you to bow your heads. Have a think on these things.
We want to be significant for Jesus' sake, not our own sake. Make a decision to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. I know many of you here have made that decision, but maybe God is calling us to go again and run again and go again and run again. So I just want to say this. If you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I've sat on the fence with Jesus. I've not, even though people think it may be, I've not gone all in, I'm not 100%. Maybe this is your moment now where people's heads are bowed and their eyes are closed for you to say, I want to be all in for Jesus now. Actually, 100% committed. Maybe for the first time you'd say, I'm all in. Why don't you pop your hand in the air? I'm in 100%. All in, all in for Jesus. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm in 100%. Maybe for the first time, never made that decision before. Just going to leave a space. If you keep your hand in the air, if you popped up, I just want to pray for you a minute. In a minute, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Right at the back. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else want to say, I'm 100% in for Jesus? Maybe for the first time, I'll make that decision. I know a few of you put your hands at the back. Can you stick your hands here? Because I want to pray over you. Thank you, right at the back there. Father, we pray you're blessed on those who put their hands up. Pray your blessing. Pray you get your grip around them. Help them to walk with you 100%. I know people are coming out to see you, but you know, make yourself known at the end as well because we want to be praying for you and give you some stuff. I don't know how many of you there were, five or six of you. Just, just make sure you make yourself known or come and see me. And now for the rest of us, if you want to say, let's go again, run again, sacrificial lives, I will choose the path of significance for Jesus, not my own selfish gain. Would you stand to your feet? Would you stand to your feet? I'll run again, I'll run again. I'll, all for you, Jesus, 100% not for my selfish ambition or vain conceit, but all for Jesus. And we're going to worship. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you're doing here this morning and all that you'll go on to do. Help us to be kingdom disruptors, living life full on for you. For your glory, Jesus, not our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.